This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Nightlight has partnered with Fan Roll Dice by Metallic Dice Games to offer an exclusive discount on one of their gorgeous dice sets that we've fallen in love with because of their satisfying weight and, let's just be honest, sparklies not to mention their impeccably constructed dice accessories. In one word, velvet. Visit fanrolldice.com, that's F-A-N-R-O-L-L-D-I-C-E dot com, and use our discount code NIGHTLIGHT for 10% off any new additions to your dice hoard. A portion of your purchase will come back to us and help support our shows. So go to fanrolldice.com with the discount code NIGHTLIGHT to get 10% off of any additions to your dice hoard. Hi, I'm Tanya Thompson, creator and executive producer of Nightlight, a horror podcast featuring creepy tales from Black writers all over the world. Before we get started, just a quick content warning that there is a brief reference to sexual assault in this episode. This episode is brought to you by the Nightlight Legion. Special thanks to our newest patron, Stephanie, and Willette, a longtime patron who increased their monthly contribution. Thank you so much to both of you. For as little as $1 a month, you can join the Nightlight Legion. Just go to patreon.com slash nightlightpod. You can get instant access to bonus content, behind-the-scenes info, and a shout-out on the podcast. So sit back, turn out the lights, and enjoy The Scars of Eliza Gray by Evan Davis. Narrated by Georgia McKenzie. The mind, once stretched by a new idea, never regains its original dimensions. Oliver Wendell Holmes The first time I saw the house, it was late morning. It was overcast, so the light was bright, but pallid and gray. The house was dark against the bright sky, almost more like a shadow than anything real. The paint was old, worn, and chipped, and aspects of the ornamentation were faded, but I could see a portion nearer the woods that was much newer. It was strange. I had the feeling like I'd seen the place before, maybe a long time ago, or in a photograph. The thought danced on the tip of my tongue, but I couldn't place it, so I let it go. I stepped out of my truck as Heather came onto the porch to meet me, and I lost a heel in the gravel. Samantha Firth? She called. She was younger than I expected, but just as sweet-sounding and kindly as she'd been on the phone. She was dressed in the usual street clothes of someone in their twenties, but was covered in a shawl like a prairie housewife. Her smile was as gentle as it was ever-present. Heather Collins? I smiled back and waved my broken shoe. You have a lovely property. I motioned out over the manicured expanse which housed several small structures, but most notably a vineyard that rolled up the side of a hill and nestled the manor against the woods. I realized then that I couldn't have recognized the house. I'd never been to a vineyard, after all. Technically, 
It's my mother's, she laughed. Would you like a hand with any of your things? That would be great, thank you, I said, exhausted. At that point, I'd been up for 36 hours with a previous client and still had most of this day ahead of me. Is she around, by the way? Does she know I'm here? She does. I was hoping to have you meet her before dinner. That would be terrific. Inside, I realized the manor's exterior belied the inner furnishing. It was completely modern, but moreover, everything was spotless and neatly arranged like a dollhouse. Though there was the faint smell of dust which gave me the start of a small headache. I asked Heather if she cleaned the whole place herself, to which she laughed and said she had help. She brought us into the living room where we saw an older woman in a wheelchair sitting by an open window. But she was the second thing I noticed. The first was the large figure of a man standing in the opposite hallway entrance with his back to us. He must have stood a little over seven feet tall hunched over, and there were the soft sounds of faint scratches, like he was sweeping. When we walked in, he turned, though not enough for me to see his face before shuffling quietly out of the room. I was about to ask Heather who he was when she introduced me to Eliza. Mom, I have someone I'd like you to meet. This is Samantha. She's going to be helping us out, okay? Miss Firth, this is my mother, Eliza. Heather motioned me forward and I knelt down beside her. She didn't speak, and she didn't move her head, but her eyes seemed to slowly float around to different areas in the room. Finally, they landed on me. Hi, I said gently. Her face was entirely still, and her eyes stayed fixed on me for a long while. They were probably green once, but it looked like age had dulled them of their color. Heather called me. She told me how you got sick recently. I'm here to help take care of things with the estate while she takes care of you. Her eyes went to Heather, and I saw her give the faintest smile. It's nice to meet you, Eliza. I touched her hand. Immediately, her eyes shot back to mine and she clutched my wrist, nails digging into my arm. Mom! Heather shouted. I pried my arm away and she left marks running down to my knuckles. Heather rushed in and got between us. She leaned in close and was whispering something into her ear, but Eliza's eyes stayed focused on me. After a few moments of Heather's intervention, Eliza's eyes slowly returned to their grazing about the room. I'm so sorry about this, Heather pleaded. I'll take her back to her room. Please, there's a bathroom just down the hall. Run some water on your cuts. I'll be right back with something to wrap them and then get dinner started. I think we could both use some wine. She wheeled her mother upstairs, leaving me alone in the room. I stood up. The stinging marks on my arm pulsed against the skin. I ran my fingers over them, but then I froze. I looked down the hallway where the bathroom was and listened to the sound of sweeping in the other room. I'm not sure what it was, but my heart beat a little faster and I couldn't move my feet. There was something in the sound that brought me shivers, gave me goosebumps. It was familiar, like a half-remembered dream, and I didn't know why. I rolled my sleeves down slowly, crossed my arms and looked out the window. The vineyard really was beautiful. Everything in the house was ornate, down to the chandelier that hung over the dining table. Molded silver made into little cherubs danced between stems of ivy that ended in light bulbs. 
the candlesticks were the same, except that they held tiny flames. Eliza stared into these, transfixed and unmoving, while Heather helped her with her food. You said this came from your own vines? I asked, breaking the lengthy silence and swirling my wine glass. Mm-hmm. Heather nodded, taking a sip herself. It was barreled about two years ago. It's lovely, I said, matching her. Thank you. When was the renovation on the house? Seems like it would have been about the same time. She smiled. You say that like you were there. Yes. How did you know? I've been a fiduciary for 15 years. A lot of estates in that time. A lot of clients asking for rebuilding projects. Well, excellent eye. She swirled the wine around in her glass. We had a fire break out. No one was hurt, thank God. But Mom was looking to expand the house anyway, so we took it as a sign it was time to get to it. And how long has she had it? The house, that is. <laughs> well, it belonged to her godparents before it was hers, but when they both passed away, it was left to her. They meant a lot to her, as you could imagine. So rather than selling, she stayed. I could imagine. If you don't mind me asking, why was she living with her godparents? Do you know? Heather held her mother's hand, who was softly chewing and looking into the candlelight. She had a rough upbringing. Her father was killed when she was young, and her mother took her own life shortly after that. That was all when she was twelve. So she lived here with her godparents until they passed away, oh, um, about ten years ago. Oh, that's terrible. Well, at least she's had you, thank goodness. Of course. She's my mother. I owe her everything. She pursed her lips and smiled. I remember finding it odd. I thought Eliza would have smiled again, but she didn't. She just kept staring into her candle. It was hard getting to sleep that night. My head was swimming between the headache that had been growing and the wine I'd used to nurse it. Heather helped me to bed and bid me good night, but I twisted and turned a few hours. Even once I fell asleep, my mind was forced to wrestle with nightmare after nightmare. In the first, I was there in the house, pallid daylight coming through the front windows, watching a little girl play in the vineyard. The sky was gray, with a thin overcast, perhaps threatening rain. But there she was, dressed like a Girl Scout with a bright green bow in her hair, just skipping between the vines. After a while, like she knew I was there, she stopped with a precision like clockwork and slowly turned around. I screamed. The little girl had no face. The next moment, I remember the breath caught in my throat like hot coals as my skin began to burn and catch fire. I watched my arms crackle, blacken, and flake away. The little girl turned away from me and ran, just as an enormously strong hand clawed into my shoulder from behind. I woke up in a cold sweat. The room was empty and the door closed. I sat up in bed and dragged my hands down my cheeks. I was about to sink back into the covers when a sound made me stop. A quiet scratching on the other side of the door like a broom sweeping rhythmically against the hardwood. I sat back up, pulled the blankets up to my waist, and turned on the light. Eventually, the sun came up. That morning, Heather made coffee and we went together to the study. 
where we set to work going through the papers of the estate. It would have been easier if they'd just gone paperless, but since she was such a big client, I was just glad the records hadn't been part of the fire. We turned up the usual fare, tax forms, property deeds, various certificates and account numbers, but also a few curios. I remember Heather being less helpful with these. Your mother was a psychic? I asked, uncovering her business license. More a hypnotist, but yes. She worked as a medium, connecting clients with their loved ones. But after her practice grew, she helped people with their thoughts. Sort of like a therapist. Sort of. She would work with you to bring those thoughts, the haunting ones hiding in your mind's recesses, into the light. It was a way of making the unreal, well, real for you to confront. That sounds pretty intense. I muttered the last part. After a while, I pulled through another box and found I had another question. Oh, I said. I didn't realize you were adopted. Heather softly chuckled again. During the brief time she was married, they realized they couldn't have children, an incident from her childhood. I know it's an awful thing to think, but I sometimes still thank God because it meant she found me. I was just glad to understand why I was seeing the surname Gray on all of our papers. Glad, but struck by something that I couldn't grasp. Again, the name was something familiar, but in that vague way that distant, implacable memories can be. It didn't help that my head was still foggy, and Heather must have noticed because she suggested a walk through the vineyard. While we ambled over the hill, she asked what the matter was. Though I said not to worry, I told her of my sleeplessness and the bad dreams I'd had. That was when she told me about Ned. When I was younger, she said, I had this trick I would use if I was in a bad dream. I called him Ned. He's really, really tall, super skinny, has kind of an ugly face, and wears this old hat and coat. I made him up so that I'd know it was a nightmare. If he shows up, I know it isn't real. She smiled. I'll think about trying that. I smiled back. As we finished up our walk, she took us up to the top of the hill that overlooked the back half of the rural county we were in. While she pointed out parts of the distant town, I saw something in the soil that caught my eye. I came back to it after she'd gone inside and dug it out from under the grapes. Once I had, I left and tossed the rock back. I was going to do us all a favor and go to bed early that night. I thought it was a tooth. This time, I was running down an endless dark hall lined with open doors to empty black rooms. I kept trying to scream, but made no noise. A deep growl came from just behind my head, and I spun around but didn't see anything at all, except a wall of choking black mist. I looked down and saw I was holding a child, swaddled in a light blue blanket. Silently crying, I watched a large, strong arm snake out from some invisible place behind me, grab my wrist, and pull back the baby's hood. My vision went blurry, and vertigo made my stomach plummet. When I looked back, the hand was gone, but I'll never forget the way that felt. The child didn't cry, but just looked at me, with its single good eye, black and unmoving like a doll's. Where its other ought to have been, there was just a... 
there was just this horrible gash. Its mouth fell open, and it bellowed a horrible, racking sound, like a foghorn in a grotto. I felt a hand wrap around my face, and I woke up. My heart was pounding, and my hair was stuck to my forehead with sweat. I was about to console myself with a deep breath when I saw him. Standing a foot or two from the edge of my bed was the man I'd seen sweeping when I met Eliza. He stood there, staring at me with a hawkish nose and these yellow eyes that stood out against the dark. I couldn't help myself. I screamed and threw off the covers. I jumped across the room, grabbed the poker from the fireplace, and slammed on the light. But when I wheeled around to face him, the room was empty. The door was ajar, but the house was silent. The next thing I remember, I was waking up the following morning. I came downstairs to the office that morning, fighting a nauseous stomach. I saw Heather standing at the front door, speaking to a man with a doctor's bag in one hand. When he left, I asked her if there was a problem, and she explained that her mother's condition was worsening, but didn't seem willing to say anything more, so I didn't press. She offered to make breakfast, but I declined on account of the nausea. We shared a joke about calling the doctor back in, and I went to the office with a glass of water. I was nearly done incorporating her papers into our client account when I noticed one last box underneath a chair in the corner. I tried to guess by the weight of the box how long it would take to process, but once I opened it, I was taken aback. It was full of old mementos, odd things like old client receipts and newspaper advertisements for her business as a psychic. The mind is a door. Call and step through today, read one, and I had to snort. I looked at one of the receipts beneath the stack and found her most recent client had been one M. Ferguson, which I again found odd. I knew the name like I had known Eliza's, but I couldn't place it. Coincidences like that would have been frustrating if I hadn't been so exhausted. I reached for the lid of the box to put it away when I saw another news clipping pasted to its underside. My skin started to tingle and a knot twisted in my gut. The story in the article was about an incident at Sunrise Children's Summer Camp. I didn't read the article because I knew the story. A girl had been assaulted a week before the camp let out. The girl's father killed the suspect a couple of weeks later, but died from the wounds he suffered in the effort. The papers had gone nuts with the story. And as I thought on it, Marisha Ferguson had been the attending manager of the campground that year. She came to us looking for help, Heather said. I yelped a little as her voice startled me. She apologized, but I waved it away and told her it was all right. She felt guilty for the way it had happened under her watch, continued Heather. So my mother helped her navigate those thoughts. After that, she just stood in the doorway, cradling her elbows in her hands. Dinner will be ready soon, she said. We were finishing dinner in the usual fashion. Heather aided Eliza with her food while Eliza watched the flicker of the candle. Eventually, Heather excused the both of them with a smile and wheeled her mother off to bed. Alone in the room, my eyes slowly fell to the candle. I wondered what it was she stared at so intently every night. The knot in my stomach returned, and so did the ache in my temple. Standing beyond the candle in the doorway was the man with the broom. I shouted for him to say his name or to go away. 
but he just stood there, staring at me with those bright, sickeningly yellow eyes. I knew I was hallucinating. I rubbed my eyes, and when I opened them again, he was gone. I sighed with relief, but the hair raised on my neck at the presence of hot breath on the back of my head. I turned, and he was standing over me. In the light, I could see his exaggerated overbite, his rough, bumpy complexion, and his moss-green skin. He grabbed me by my throat and lifted me from my chair. He drew a long, rust-eaten blade from his pocket, and I choked for him to stop, knowing his intent. He ran the knife into my belly and grinned as he twisted it hard, while I gurgled a bloody sob as my only fight against it. Sam, are you okay? Heather was standing in the doorway with a look of concern. I was sitting at the table, alone. I excused myself and went to my room. I lied in bed, staring at the ceiling. The lights were off and I had lit a candle instead. I remember thinking to myself just how much distress had been driving me nuts. I was exhausted from several days of no restful sleep, a head full of fog, and limbs that were just heavy. I was trying to tell myself that after just a few more days, I'd be able to manage this monster-sized account from home. The room suddenly felt warm, as though it was a hot summer night, and I'd only just now noticed it. Pins and needles pricked their way across my face and neck. Then the candle flickered and went out. Nervous. I looked about the dark room, and there he was in the open doorway. He just stood there, hunched, with parted lips and the faintest curl of a smile on one cheek. My reflex was to scream, but the breath caught in my throat. I couldn't move, no matter how badly I begged my body. He came over to my bedside, but he didn't move his legs. He just glided evenly over the floor like a chess piece. I was paralyzed, gripped by an unearthly panic and frozen under his yellow gaze. He bent down and breathed his repulsive hot breath on my cheeks. He opened his mouth, and a long warded tongue snaked out from behind rows of piranha-like teeth. His hands had nails like claws, and they drew circles around my navel. With a voice like gravel, he said his first and only word to me. Bad. I woke up on the downstairs couch, covered in sweat with my temples pounding. The sun was coming through the windows, and Eliza was sitting by one overlooking the vineyard. She turned to me and stared with those same green eyes. I'll never be able to say what it was, but in that moment, I remembered everything. Eliza, the hillside, the house. She was the girl from my dream the first night. She was Eliza Gray from Camp Sunrise, and I was the counselor assigned to her cabin. I remembered the quiet cries, the muffled scratching of the floorboards. But it took someone else to say something. She was twelve then, just five years my junior. But now she looked so much older. I stood up to collect my things from my room. The renovations had hidden it, and the vineyard was new. But now I saw. This was the counselor's lodge. I wasn't staying here another day. It's not her fault, Eliza said. I froze mid-step. Now I was the one staring at her as she returned her gaze to the vineyard. 
Her lips barely moved, and the words were ghostly, but clear. It wasn't her fault. It was mine. I wanted answers. Needed them. The mind truly is a door, and when I opened mine, memories of him flooded through. They left me frayed, haunted, and it's those around me that suffer in the cloud those damaging memories made. I'm sorry for the headaches. And I suppose by now you've seen him. He shouldn't be here, but Heather has her own demons. I didn't realize what was happening until it was too late. No child is born evil, but we are so easy to abuse. She just wanted to understand. She just wants to understand and protect her mother. Her door opened years before, and now, so has yours. We were young. It wasn't your fault either. I'm... I'm so sorry. I whispered the words between sobs. That's when she turned back to me. You should run. So I did. I ran up the stairs to my room. I threw open the door and I couldn't help but shriek. The sheets and blankets of my bed had been torn to ribbons where my stomach ought to have been. I was grabbing my keys from the bedside table when I heard Heather's voice. Is anything the matter? I heard her say from the doorway. More nightmares? Something of the sort, I replied as calmly as I could. I think I'm going to finish the account from home. Your Ned trick didn't really do it. It doesn't always help, she said, taking a step into the room. Sometimes I think he knows. Sometimes it's almost like I didn't come up with him at all. <laughs> she laughed and took another step, and I could see she had something under her shawl. Sometimes when I think about him, I can't stop. He's all I can think about. And then things get bad. She looked at me with a hard expression, but abruptly giggled. <laughs> Do you ever get anything like that? I didn't hesitate, but she still saw me move. She thrust the knife at my stomach while I tried to dash past. I caught the blade with my hands and something changed in her eyes when she saw the blood gush from between my fingers and flow onto hers. A switch flipped, and she was a different person entirely. Manic. Cold. Reptilian. She pulled the knife free, and I felt the blade cut to the bone of my knuckles. She made to slash at my face, but I fell back and kicked her in the knee. It must have hurt, because there was a pop and it was enough for her to loosen her grip on the knife. She collapsed to the floor and I managed to wrestle it from her. I sunk the knife into her leg up to the handle just below her pelvis. I stumbled out through the door while she flailed on the ground and shouted after me. You can run! Marisha tried to run too with her fire, you know. You can't outrun inspiration, Samantha! Her laugh echoed through the halls while I ran. I made it to my truck and tore down the gravel driveway. I gripped the steering wheel with slick hands and caught air with a gasp between sobs. I only looked back once. And I regret it to this day. The yellow-eyed man was standing in the middle of the road, watching me leave from beneath an arc of dark trees. 
As the road grew between us, he slowly raised a hand and waved to me. And I've never forgotten the promise in that goodbye. I sleep with a light on, but I can still hear the sound of scratching at my door. And now for our interview with Evan. You'll learn about how he came up with his story and what scares him the most. Evan was so much fun to talk to that we ended up scheduling another chat. Head on over to patreon.com slash nightlightpod to listen to us talk about Jordan Peele's films, Get Out, and Us. We are here today with Evan Davis, the author of The Scars of Eliza Gray. Evan, how are you today? I'm doing just dandy. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm glad to have you on the show. Glad to be here. Yay. First of all, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, um, your background, like where you're from, you know, standard biography. <laughs> standard growing up question. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, uh, so I was born up in uh, Oregon, but, um, and then just kind of like moved around a lot as a kid. Um, Cause my mom was a not, was an RN and uh, my dad tried to find work as a carpenter a lot. And so moved, the, the story as I know it, we moved to uh, Northern California when I was like two um, across to Kentucky for, for ages like five and six or four and five, something around there up to New York. And it was always for um, kind of like for the sake of job mobility for my mom. So then spent a couple of years up in New York and then uh, moved out to uh, Northern California again when I was uh, about eight, kind of on the verge of turning nine and uh, <laughs> kind of just been here ever since. So you've kind of moved all around the place. It sounds mm-hmm. like that's mm-hmm. awesome. So do you feel like that's do you feel like that's influenced your writing in any way? Um, I mean, well, sort of. I guess I've never really thought of it that way, but maybe just in that uh, out in New York, we lived in a place called Highland Falls, and uh, <laughs> the way I remember it being described and the way I remember it feeling is it's a uh, it's a real small town. I think if you Google it, it lo- it it's classified as a village. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, but a real small, comfortable town. And I, um, I don't know, I guess that's a, kind of like a happy place that I go to, or that's where a lot of, uh, I don't know, I guess that's where I draw comfort from, especially if I uh, run into like writer's block. And uh, also kind of um, really necessitated the whole skill at uh, making friends, moving around so much. Because right, right. then even once we landed in California, it's, I think we moved around to like four or five different houses before like settling in at uh you know like your childhood home that, that kind of thing so yeah so highland falls you said you said it said it was highland falls right mm-hmm. that sounds like a fantastic place to destroy in a story i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> but it's like perfect for a horror story it's all quaint it's a little village and you know an outsider comes in and like destroys everything it just it's- no, you were super right <laughs> <laughs> did you uh did you ever see uh it like yes. that was like 2016, 2017. Yeah. Uh, the, the town that they're in, no kidding, very reminiscent. Really? <laughs> it's that whole kind of like quaint and quiet and small, but like under the surface, there's like, I don't know, there's definitely that room for there to be um, something that isn't quite right. Dun, yeah. Dun, dun. I need to watch that again now and then, you know, just picture you like growing up and <laughs> in, in that town. So when did you start writing? Um... 
I mean, to, uh, if we go back to my kind of child prodigy years, I, I think I f wrote my first little ditty when I was uh, like six. It was, a, it was a story about a cat that got lost in a park. Aww. A lightning strikes and a dog has to save it. Oh, that's so cute. I love it. <laughs> but uh, no, I am. I've kind of. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to be the voice that says I've always. It's always been a part of who I am. But it is. It has <laughs> but it totally is. <laughs> I think it's that way for most writers. <laughs> it's been something that I've kind of, for, I don't know, for a lot. Uh, I'm. I'm only 25, but for a lot of my life, um, kind of done off and on. Um, and always kind of found myself coming back to. And <laughs> I, I don't remember where I first heard that, because uh, in my mind it was always, uh, you know, you get, you, uh, you write a book and, you know, you get a book published. And I, I had no idea that, uh, you know, I, I guess shorter fiction markets were even a thing, uh, yeah. much less that you could become involved with one. But uh, I think it was probably about five years back or so. I um, I came across a link somewhere saying like, "Hey, you know, write write stories, this and that. We'd love to hear from you." And uh, I just kind of dipped my toe in the water and I, <laughs> uh, and kind of got involved that way. And but still very just much very much as a hobby and very much just kind of like part time and everything. But I kept I don't know. I, you know, it started as just daydreaming, um, mm -hmm. and then starting to love wanting to capture the, the, the mental movies as I always called them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just kind of fit them to a page and put, put words to it. And I started to really find myself doing, focusing more on that than, uh, than my day job. And, uh, <laughs> back in, back in September, I had, uh, I'd uh, saved up enough. I'd planned to put myself on a sabbatical and uh, September of 2018 kind of just dove into um, seeing what uh, writing full-ish time would look like. Awesome. So how, how do you feel like it's going so far? <laughs> I, <laughs> I, had, I had originally pictured it and I don't remember if I told anyone this, but like I had pictured it being this like, Super cool, stress-free, like coffee house <laughs> bohemia. <laughs> oh, Evan! Oh, oh my God! Right? Yeah, that, uh, that first week was, uh, and I okay, I was right in one thing. I told people I was like, you know what? I think the first like two weeks or so is gonna be me trying to get my sea legs under me. It's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of Bambi walking, right? Yeah. Um, and that first week was exactly what I expected. It was a lot of, uh, it was a lot of utter panic. I thought somehow I was going to blow through, uh, my saving stockpile in like two weeks. The, the duration <laughs> of two weeks kept coming to mind. Um, and I, I remember I very, very specifically and consciously, I walked downtown. I went to a deli. I bought myself a sandwich, made it back home and the world hadn't blown up. So I was like, okay. Maybe, maybe I've got maybe I've got more time than I think. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah. And then, uh, not sure how deep we want to get in this, but uh, about two weeks into after after leaving my uh, my job, my mom got uh, she got sick more or less, oh. and um, 
so it's been that that threw a wrench into things. Yeah, yeah. But um, I, what's the what's the old adage like? Uh, no, no plan survives first contact with the enemy. Or but yeah, that's true. It's something like that. But yeah, it's it's absolutely true. But it's lucky that you get to be there. Right. I yeah. hope I hope that she's feeling better. Um. Yeah. No. We've and that's a I don't know the 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 pretty bright silver lining to the uh, <laughs> a pretty big dark cloud that it's been is uh God it's a uh, I don't know. Great conflicts make for pretty good stories. And it's been a lot of life experience, all kind of in uh, a pretty short amount of time. But, uh, and <laughs> yeah, no matter how much I've kind of wanted to, or uh, I guess fantasized about, mm, I don't say, like, I guess, removing myself from the situation, the, um, the thing I've always kind of come back to is that uh, I'm going to be, you know, because I don't have any siblings. Uh, none of her siblings are either around or live anywhere near. So it's kind of, uh, you know, just us, my girlfriend and family and uh, or friends rather. And uh, so it's, I don't know, I keep kind of coming back to what, how I want to look back on this period. And the anchor I keep finding is, uh, I, w- I want to have been, you know, the good son <laughs> and, uh, I don't know. I'd rather stay strong through it than, and emerge, uh, having done the things despite the obstacles, than, you know, I guess having the excuse of succumbing to whatever hardship. So, yeah. As someone who has been there, I do not regret being there for my dad. Mm. So, Oh, hey. Just so, you know, you have someone speaking from experience. I think you're making the right choice for yourself. Um, if that's something that you're thinking about long-term. It's, 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 it's definitely a decision I was glad that I made. Although I wasn't writing. I just, I had a job that was more flexible and, and you sure. know, freelancing and, and things like that. So at least you get to write. It's going to have some sort of outlet for a lot of it, which is great. So are you making a decent income with your writing now? <laughs> I uh, <laughs> I put uh, I put out uh, I think like on my bio or whatever I, I I definitely label myself as an emerging author and real real emphasis on that emerging part. Um, so not yet. Uh, the uh, for a while I had a pretty uh, a healthy and growing um, uh, you know stack of rejections and everything and everything I was kind of taught to ex- or uh, I thought I would expect. Um, but it's been, while it's been a lot of kind of like, you know, uh, wheel spinning, beginning of this year has, uh, I've caught, I've caught a little bit of traction here and there. Nice. Congratulations. So I'm not, I'm not breaking the bank or anything. <laughs> right. <just> yet, but, <laughs> uh... <laughs> but you're getting there. You're making, you're making improvements and you got to yeah. start somewhere, right? Sure, Things sure. keep going. Always keep going. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. Persistence. Yes. <laughs> persistence and tenacity has been the, the two kind of key words through all this. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So, the scar scars of Eliza Gray is the story that we're having on the podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about the inspiration for that story? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I actually so uh, the one of those kind of like first uh, exposures to you know actually being able to kind of like, you know, submit and, uh, get, get my writing put out there. Um, I, 
was actually, I think it was a link that uh, my girlfriend Amanda sent me, and it was to, have you ever heard of, uh, I think the organization's called uh, NYC Midnight? It sounds familiar. I don't remember what it is, but I've heard of it. <laughs> they do like, uh, and this is just going to be to the best of my knowledge, so put a little asterisk next to it, but they do kind of like uh, annual uh, fiction contests in all sorts of forms, be it like, you know, uh, short story, flash, uh, poetry, screenplay, all that, all that jazz. And uh, she sent me the one for uh, short story. And, uh, and they give you, uh, like their structure is that they give you like a, a random, I mean, it's random to you. They use them as categories, but it's a random genre, a character, and uh, some sort of subject to include. And uh, I thought that was, I, I didn't, I didn't even come close to sniffing first place or anything, but it was, <laughs> but none that like, it was, it was fun. And I kind of took the structure from that and tried to form, uh, and I uh, figured I'd kind of, you know, bring it back home and uh, make a, uh, try and form a writer's, like kind of, uh, not club, but like, you know, workshop or just with, with some friends. And uh, use kind of the same thing. So, you know, wrote up a list of like 10 different genres uh, and then 100 each of um, different like characters from, you know, like a, a janitor, a, 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 um, an art collector, uh, whoever, and different subjects. And from those, you know, got to cobble together a couple of friends. <laughs> and for the while that it lasted, uh, called it the uh, Soapbox Writers Group. Kind of like, you know, Standing on your soapbox, the humble little platform to get your message out there. And um, from that, you know, I think the the second one in, I got because uh, we used we're super cool D and D nerds, and we rolled dice to determine what the charts came up with. Oh, and, that's cool. Uh, <laughs> and I uh, my like I think like second or third one uh, that I got was uh, horror. And vineyard and camp counselor. Oh, nice! <laughs> right, and so I roll, and so like I, I kind of uh, rolled with that. I was like, okay, that's. Uh, and I'd had a couple of uh, premises that I just kind of like, you know, take a note of, of like, you know, work on these later, kind of things. Mm -hmm. And um, <laughs> I think it was originally going to be called uh, the House of Old Smoke or something, mm -hmm. and it was going to deal with a couple of children who. Uh, and like, you know, a figment of one of their imaginations and a haunting or something. But um, yeah, and we'd set the soft uh, word limit of around like, you know, 2,500. Mm -hmm. But as it just kind of kept developing and like, as like, you know, I kind of you know, would draft or redraft it and kept uh, like doing the ooh, but what if? And trying to, <laughs> trying to strike the balance to like, you know, not take away so much that it's anemic, but not, you know, pad it or anything. And just it kind of took on a body. It, uh, I don't know, it kept kind of forming until, until we got uh, Scars of Eliza Gray. Nice. Thank you, Dice. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So did you workshop it at all? Or was this something you just completely did on the side, kind of on your own? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we we would do readings. I think we give ourselves like a, a duration or um, time limit, I guess you could say, of like uh, two weeks. And um, at the at the end of the, said two weeks, you know, we would do our readings and then, you know, roll for what we got next. And uh, so, yeah, I got to I got to share it with them. And there was, oof, Lord, I am. Um, I think I st the the original 
version of it was and uh, I think I got I got critiques for being like for being like too having too much stuff going on which was which was fair um and then uh <laughs> there's there's a set uh, the um yeah so the scene where or like the the nightmare that she has where she's in uh the hallway with you know doors that lead to nowhere and just a uh wall of kind of black mist behind her um that original originally it was so she's where as it is now where she you know turns or, or like you know she's turned around and uh she finds that she's holding a, a swaddled uh baby or infant mm-hmm. and like the strong arm kind of you know comes out from behind snakes out from behind her and you know pulls the hood back originally it was she was pregnant and instead of the uh instead of a hand that you know revealed the baby's face it was one that had a knife and she basically gutted herself oh that sounds really cool <laughs> it, <laughs> it got such a strong negative reaction really <laughs> so but i wanted to because it was i still wanted that ooky you know uh, yeah the the face that was marred and uh the the eerie um yeah. you know the opens and it's just kind of like a foghorn sound yeah yeah I, yeah i mean that's certainly creepy i think you know i think i think the, the original scene you had is less creepy but mm-hmm. it's certainly more emotional sure i think so it's I, I think it's you know a decision of do you want to be creepy or do you want to like evoke that strong mm-hmm. emotion i think either it's, way the story i mean story's great oh okay thank you <laughs> But yeah, that that's really cool. That would that'd be a good scene. You should use it in something else. <laughs> you know, I just might. The I, I think if I'm I I'm like kinda calling or recalling it now, I think the whole I mean like the whole uh infants that hallway scene came from uh how cliche does this sound? Like it came from a dream. But uh <laughs> <laughs> it's but I had true a, though. Right? <laughs> what better you know, like uh, imagination factory than uh dreams and nightmares? But um, yeah, I think it was. Uh, I think I, it was. A, I had a dream that was very similar, where I don't know, but like I was the one holding a kid, and I think it was. It got very surreal, where like I was the baby I was holding, but it was had a big old gashed face, and I I woke up, wrote it down, and I knew it meant something, but I don't know. <laughs> Have yet to get it interpreted or anything. Yeah, I would say a good a good bit of my material comes from dreams, too, especially the beginnings. Um, yes. <laughs> I started working on this novel and the very beginning of it came in a dream because I dreamed about this woman who was like a meticulous planner. Like, you know, she carried mm-hmm. her planner around everywhere. She was very prim and proper. And um, Anyway, she goes and she goes like to a coffee shop or something. And, you know, she's having her muffin and her coffee. And then this guy comes in and starts shooting up the place. And she's like lying there in her own blood and her blood starts to go toward her planner. And that's what she's freaking out about because her planners, her planners getting dirty. And like, of course the novel is like completely strayed from that original thing. But you know, as I was, as I was sorting out the story, like that was my first scene. I was like, okay, what can Mm -hmm. happen to this character who is not like, Oh shit, I'm dying. It's my planner. You know, (laughs) I just thought it made an interesting character. Yeah, no, that is such a good insight to kind of like the, I'm not sure if neurotic is exactly the right word for it. Yeah, yeah, no, I I think it's a good word. But yeah, yeah, I mean, there there are people 
like that. And, you know, to think, you know, I'm sure the dream probably was supposed to mean something to me and I was supposed to be doing something different. <laughs> that's not what happened. I was like, oh, that's a great thing. You know, great story. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think a lot of ideas come from our dreams. I think a lot of ide- ideas come from our subconscious, which is where our dreams come from. So even if, mm-hmm. even if we don't remember it as coming from a dream, it's possible that we actually dreamt it at some point or it's somewhere inside our subconscious and that's how it comes out. So I, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think it should be a cliche. <laughs> right. It's, uh, I, I, get, well, I mean, uh, cliches are born of like how they're used, right? Yeah. So, but, yeah, definitely. Uh, doesn't take away from the original meaning, so yeah, no, no. I hear you. And it's like the vampire thing, you know, people are like, oh, or zombies, you know. <laughs> it, we're so tired of zombies, they're everywhere, like, walking dead and everything is a zombie. And it's like, well, you know, if you keep doing the same thing with zombies, yeah, it's kind of boring. But mm-hmm. there are different ways to handle it. Like um, Dread Nation is a story set in a post-apocalyptic world with zombies. But yeah. it doesn't feel like that, you know, trope. Is it trope? Tropic? I don't know. That it's it should be trope because tropic <laughs> sounds like something else completely different. <laughs> it sounds, it sounds like a root word for sure. Yes, yeah, yeah. But it, but it doesn't sound like a zombie story. Like it is a zombie story, but it's not like the kind that people think of when you say zombie story. So one hundred percent. Are you much of a are you much of a video gamer? Yes, I love video games. Oh God, yes, amen. <laughs> uh, I was years behind the curve with it, but just kind of like on this, you know, the talk of doing uh, like zombies or different, as we're saying, like tropes differently. Um, you ever played Last of Us? No, I haven't. Oh my god! Okay, that's gonna that's gonna be a, a one. Like, if I have one hearty recommendation from this so far, it's gonna have to be to like dive on into Last of Us. Uh, you know the basic premise. I mean, I'm kind of gathering it from our discussion here, but um, please <laughs> sure. tell me more. It's, I, I mean, it's basically just they do, uh, it's kind of like a you know post-apocalyptic zombie story, but instead of like a T-virus or, you know, patient zero, it's a, oh God, what's it called? Like cordyceps? Oh yeah, like a fungus. Yeah, like uh, and the girl with all the gifts. Yeah, bingo. And it's, uh, I don't know, but that was, I thought that was a, a cool way to, kind of like do a different spin so it's not like a you know secret secret government project or yeah. <laughs> something it's or something unknowable like you know kind of where it comes from and we have like a real life example of like what happens to ants and uh, uh, i posted God. a picture on twitter on the nightlight one um about it was it was a picture of a tarantula that had been invaded by this cordyceps fungus or whatever yeah. It is, and it is the creepiest looking thing. It makes it look like kind of crab-like, but then it's like tentacles <laughs> like extending into the air like they're going toward the sun. It's God super creepy looking. And yeah, I mean, it, it actually like zombifies creatures, which yeah. is pretty cool and terrifying. I think nature is far more terrifying than a lot of the things, you know, we would kind of come up with on our own. Oh my, it is, it's very metal <laughs> <laughs> for sure. So tell me, what else inspires you? What, what what gives you the shivers? What makes you want to dig a little bit deeper into something that terrifies you? Uh, real life examples. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <Or> like, <laughs> I don't know, kind of like that, the, the things that give uh, real, I don't know, the things that give that give you goosebumps or like that ooky feeling. Uh, mm-hmm. That whole, kinda like just kind of uh, still leaping off of this, they, like the whole uh tendrils like weaving out of uh out of the out of the tarantula and kind of like uh making a carapace of 
fungi and all that jazz. I just uh, that like the the thing that that re- resonates with me about that is that that kind of invasive feeling of like I don't know something foreign working its way into you. I uh, the same thing with like you know uh, just different sensations like that. So uh, you know like hot breath on the back of the neck. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the feeling that weird like sixth sense feeling that something's there even though the other five don't confirm it (laughs) um the uh i guess actually the the, this was one thing that i wanted to uh i knew i wanted to mention but um so the the scene with ned uh like the the yellow-eyed man uh when he is either at the end of uh uh samantha's bed or approaches it God, I hate that shit. <laughs> <laughs> the the whole being watched while you sleep or not being able to like that sleep paralysis thing. Mm-mm. The being watched thing gets me like even when I was a kid, I would make my parents close all of our curtains and blinds yeah. at night because I was terrified people were like looking. I mean, I grew up way in the country, right? Like our neighbor was like a mile away. It, well, Maybe he wasn't a mile away, but there was a lot of trees between us. Like there was no way. And like we, you know, we had about an acre mm-hmm. of land and it was surrounded by like thick trees. So it's not like people could just sneak up on us. You know, we had dogs and, you know, nobody was coming out. Like if you're, if you're going to go like peep in anybody's window, like you're not going to go out to the country <laughs> to peep in people's windows. And our house was, you know, one of those old pier and bean foundations. So it wasn't like it was ground level, you know, it was like, three feet off the ground. So, you know, if they wanted to like peep in our window, they need to bring like a step stool or something. <laughs> but I was still terrified. And Lord. even now, like as soon as it starts to get dark, I go around the house closing blinds and my husband likes to have his blinds open in his office and it drives me nuts because his office is in the front of the house and people can drive by and they can walk by. And I'm like, I realize that they can only see inside your office, but and I'm not in his office, <laughs> but it still bothers me. <laughs> That's actually, God, that's so funny because I, I guess I, I get what, I don't know. I guess ask him and see if, have you asked him his reasoning why he likes them open? No, I haven't. I should though. I'm like, it doesn't matter. People can look at us close. I get you, but like personally, that whole, you know, the whole like being snuck up on thing. And this might be backwards logic, but it's, I haven't challenged it since I was a kid. (laughs) But the idea of like leaving the bedroom door closed out of fear of monsters that feels to me, I don't know, man, it's the way the brain works, but like, it feels so backwards to me. I want the door open so that I can, right. I can see you coming. <laughs> I, don't, right. I don't want any of, cause like hear noises and then now they can be as close as my bedroom door. Right. Right. Yeah. Like you can hear something if someone's coming in like the front door or something. Yeah. Your bedroom door open, you can hear it. Yeah. I can see that. Amen. And the, the whole approaching bedside thing not sure if i mean like throw throw up the flag and get too like personal with some of these but um when ned kind of like approaches uh, her bedside and she can't move i th- i was thinking about it the other day and i'm i think i had the epiphany of like oh, is that where that came from but there are two distinct memories um but i guess one is after it was written so that doesn't really uh, apply but there was one time when I was nine I was uh, just kind of it was probably a couple of months before my dad passed 
and mm-hmm. I was uh, I was asleep in the living room. It was my just been like where I ended up, and uh, we had I was asleep in like one of those Papasan chairs, you know, like the wicker like hat and cushion. Yeah, and um, I woke up to the sound of just like a like a bang and some shuffles. And it was enough to like, you know, where like you, you rouse to consciousness, but your eyelids are still heavy. And, um, he, uh, uh, my dad came around the corner. He was, uh, I, as far as I know, he had, you know, he had kidney problems and, uh, he was on dialysis and that went into all sorts of other health complications, but he also suffered from seizures and, uh, I, I, at nine, woke up to, I think it was probably like one in the morning, that bang and some shuffles, and I woke up to him shuffling around the corner, because he was, he was mid-seizure, and like his, his eyes were rolled back, his knees were like, you know, kind of locked and jagged, that like, that whole kind of like, you know, we were talking about zombie imagery. Yeah, yeah, that's actually where mine, my, my dad was on dialysis and had seizures, and I, I'm writing a novel that's, that's, about a zombie and like she's trapped in her own body but she's sentient like she knows what's uh, going on and it's i didn't realize it for a whole year that i was writing and i was like oh shit this is about my dad <laughs> and then i put it down <laughs> because i was like i can't do this like now that i know right i was like it was too painful right I and so I, I shelved it for like five years because once i realized what it was i was like this is this is hitting too close to home mm-hmm. anyway i'm sorry continue no it's i do i get it those uh it's especially when you're trying to like craft a story but you have to dwell in those feelings it it's not yeah. i hear you yeah but um yeah he, and some of those feelings are just too big mm-hmm. to take on at that moment like writing would help you but at the same time it's just it's too overwhelming mm-hmm. at that moment so you have to kind of wait for the for the right time it's, mm-hmm. it's a balance it's a delicate balance mm-hmm. but yeah no, he uh, he <laughs> he shuffled around the corner and uh i i don't know i think like the way we tried to like explain it was that he knew he was going into an episode and like needed me awake but uh basically yeah, he shuffled around the corner eyes rolled back and like basically crashed on top of me oh my goodness Ooh, it was a it was a hell of a way to I bet that was terrifying <laughs> oh my god and it, it's uh <laughs> yeah and it was this whole thing of like uh uh at nine like you know what did we uh what did we talk about how do we oh god what do we do in this situation and uh, yeah. my mom was a nighttime RN, so I rather than dial nine one one, I just need to like, you know, get him on his side and uh, call call like work basically, call the hospital where she works at. And, yeah. But yeah, and there've been just like I don't know a couple of like instances of just being woken up at the middle of the night at something at your bedside or at the edge. Um, that God sensations to I guess. Uh, either capture or feel you that that one's that one's up there (laughs) yeah i should write about i had an episode like that i should write about that i I do this like true frights thing for the podcast i don't know if you've listened to any of those episodes they're they're for patrons only okay now i should write about mine but basically like what happened was there was one night that i was i was a teenager and i woke up in the middle of the night and like something like in my head, like I couldn't hear it with my ears, but in my head, someone was screaming at me to turn on the lights. And I was like, what the hell? Like, you know, I'm sitting there and like, and I know I'm awake. Mm-hmm. I'm not asleep anymore. And something just keeps screaming at me to turn on the lights. But at the time my bed was like across the room from the light switch and I didn't have Ooh. a bedside table. 
So I was like, hell no, I'm not getting up and turning on life. Like I'm hearing voices in my head, <laughs> you know? And it was, I mean, it was, it was probably one of the scariest moments of my life, but it's just, it's so weird. Like, cause you can tell like if somebody walks into a room yeah. that you're in. And so when you feel that someone's in that room with you and there's no one in that room with you, mm-hmm. it's not okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. There's, well, <laughs> there's something I have got, we're talking about, you know, like the subconscious and sleep and those, like the weirdness that kind of surrounds it with you know, dreams and nightmares and all of these kind of, um, cause yeah, I've had that before where I've woken up. I God, it was such a singular experience with how, uh, just I guess I don't know like foreign to that point that like a phenomenon like that was but um mm-hmm. yeah I if you're uh, you know where you just wake up you're not groggy you're not surprised awake you're just suddenly conscious yeah mm-hmm. god I don't know that uh <laughs> I almost dislike the uh dislike that just about as much because uh the one time that it was connected to I just kind of woke up I wasn't tired wasn't shocked nothing and there was just that weird, uncomfortable, almost like uh, like pins and needles or like, you know, stage fright, that same yeah. thing, like anxiety. And it just, it felt like this weird, hot blanket or curtain of air just above me. And then, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> so you, it's like your body knew something was there before yeah, you did. You, so yeah. you, you at least were like, you got to be kind of cool and like defiant and be like, hell no, I'm not getting up. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't defiant. It was cowardice. <laughs> I straight up played possum. <laughs> I was scared to death. I was like, no, no. Like whatever shouting in my head is far scarier like than whatever else could be. But I was wrong about that. But you know, that's, oh, yeah. that's neither here nor there. <laughs> but um. I want to go back to a second on what you talked about, about um, the, you know, the whole cordyceps thing and being Mm. like your thoughts being, you know, like where your thoughts come from and things like that. And I read something and I usually do creepy facts at the end of each episode, but I'm going to put it in the middle of our interview this time. So I learned that 8% of our DNA is from a virus, which doesn't seem like a whole lot, but 1.5% of our DNA actually tells our proteins how to function. So we have more viral DNA than we do the DNA that tells our cells how to do what they are supposed to do. So theoretically, and this probably isn't true because I'm not a geneticist. (laughs) I'm just taking like this to the next logical leap of a horror writer. But theoretically with that viral DNA, we we could be thinking thoughts that aren't necessarily ours. Like where our thoughts come from could be more from some of these viruses that have encoded themselves into our DNA. So how much of our thoughts are really our own is a really frightening thought for me. Huh. So anyway, there you go. Now, now I've scared you a little bit more. No, no, that's, uh, no, that's, uh, I, I, I like to know. Huh. Yeah. And I mean, in a great, it makes great, you know, story fodder yeah. too, you know, just thinking about, you know, how much, how much of ourselves is really our own? How much, how much do we do on a daily basis that isn't actually our human DNA that's telling us to do it? Like this podcast might exist because of a virus that I got when I was like five, who knows? <laughs> well, I mean, like, good God, just like, hey, yeah, I mean, but like, you're right. How uncomfortable is that? That like, just the idea of like uh, the thoughts in inside your head aren't yours necessarily yeah. or like in in some way there's a 
I like to fancy myself as like having a having a brain for, for quotes, and um, <laughs> as a display of that, I'm about to butcher one. But, um, <laughs> It was, and I was, I was, you know, those like, uh, uh, music playlists you can find on YouTube and just kind of like, yeah. like, like jam out to, or like, you know, work to, um, mm-hmm. there was one that was called, I don't remember what it was called, but it was like the philosopher's playlist or something like that. And it's basically just kind of like easily, easy listening, like trip hop or something with intercut with kind of like, um, uh, philosophical, like monologues kind of like laid in the background. And there was one that has always kind of stuck out with me saying that there was this, they never, they didn't name them or I didn't, you know, do my research into the comments or description to find out who said it. But, um, he said it was like, uh, you know, I kept having this thought and like, you know, these negative thoughts and, you know, saying, you know, this and that either criticizing my own self-esteem or what have you. And then it struck me that I, and this is him speaking, I am not the thought but I am the awareness and that, I don't know, that, that's always kind of cool. So like, you know, if yeah. you have a thought that crosses your mind, you don't have to necessarily be married to that. Cause it's not, it's, it was, it was liberating at the, at the time being like, you know, you were, you were not your thoughts. You're the, right. you're the awareness that reads them. Yeah. It's kind of like if the tree falls in the forest, you know, does it, does it make a sound like <laughs> nothing's there? Leave it. You know, is it a thought if you don't really perceive it? Sure. And but like now it has that kind of nice creepy twist of yeah you know, the, like, it was liberating. You're like yeah, these thoughts you don't necessarily they're not you. Right. So clearly we need you to write more stories. <laughs> is what we're getting to. Speaking of more stories, do you have anything else out there in the world that we can read, or listen to, or watch, whatever? <laughs> uh, so far, my. Uh, <laughs> I, I proudly get to claim you guys as being my second uh, official, you know, publication. Uh, the oh, first, uh, first one was a uh, um, published with Third Flatiron Publishing and their Hidden Histories anthology. And Ooh. It, was a, uh, <laughs> it was a it was a weird alternative uh, alternative history. Alter- that word sounds alternative. Yeah, alternative history. Um, uh, like a speculative take on <laughs> of all things uh John Wilkes Booth and the assassination of Lincoln. Oh my god, I need to read this like now. Oh, dude, yeah, uh Amazon Hidden Histories uh anthology with Third Flat Iron Publishing. It's um that one was fun. It was uh yeah, just a a, a different take on that uh that story we all know. That sounds amazing. Uh yeah, I've got a number of other, you know, irons in the fire things and I'm looking to uh I'm hoping to hear back on, ha, hoping to hear back from soon. But yeah, just kind of while those while those cook, always kind of you know trying to pump out new new things and flesh out these new new ones. Well, if any of those publishers are listening right now, please accept Evan's stories because I want to read them. <laughs> I'm sure other people do too. <laughs> um, so I ask this of every every person I interview on the show. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite work of black horror? Hmm. Ben, I, all right, this is where I'm not sure if I uh, embarrass myself or not. Don't have the deepest library of that up in, up in my head. A lot of people don't. That's why I started this podcast. It's hey, totally okay. Hey, bless you. Um, and so I'm not sure how many times you've heard this, but uh, I guess the first um First big exposure to specifically you know horror by a 
black creator probably be get out and then saw uh us from there and god the uh <laughs> yeah and there's a lot there's a lot to take away from uh from his style and from um especially god the premises that he works with it's yeah his work his work is really interesting i could talk about get out and us for <laughs> Like we should just, you know, record again another day and just talk about get out. <laughs> I was just, I was just about to say, like, how much, how much time you get? <laughs> <laughs> I've only got fifteen more minutes today, but we can schedule a whole another hour and we can just air another um, episode on the Patreon where we talk about get out. Hey man, I've got time if you do, because <laughs> yeah, I've got a, lot, I've got a lot to say about uh, get out, like, probably even more about us. Excellent. Yes. So I will send you a note to schedule that so we can get that um, recorded sooner rather than later. So is there anything else that you want to share with us before we go? Um, I mean, if I can do, <laughs> if I can do a, a plug, sure. I've got, please absolutely do. Hey, cool. Uh, so yeah, I, this is probably about, it's probably about two months old now or so, but I got a, uh, a small blog up and running. It's my, it's my little pet project. Uh, Yay. follow it at uh, the light of day blog. Um, and it's just a, it's a spot where I can kind of like put down, um, <laughs> either what I find to be comedic true tales, usually embarrassing one, um, <laughs> or, uh, pieces of, uh, old fiction that I just kind of haven't tried to shop around or things that have workshopped or kind of like old uh, kind of, you know, exercises and stuff. And then do a little take and kind of say like, you know, Hey, this is, this is how this came to be. Um, This is the first time I ever wrote the word nipple in a story. I was so super anxious about it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Stuff like that. Awesome. So that was the light of day dot blog, correct? correct? Correct. All right. So we'll make sure a link to that is in the show notes. Do you have any social media that you are on? <laughs> this is uh, speaking of fledgling. This is still part of my <laughs> uh, fledging. Uh, it's not probably not a verb. Uh, so nothing, nothing really to share beyond just kind of my own, my own personal ones. Good deal. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. It was great having you and great talking to you about all the creepy things in the world. I could have talked about that forever. <laughs> I feel yeah, we got we got another couple hours in this easy. Yeah, yeah. We're just gonna have to do like a series of interviews and yeah, it'll it'll be great. So much, Evan. I hope you have a great day. Hey, no, this is terrific. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks again to our patrons for supporting this podcast. Because of your support, listeners around the world get creepy stories in their ears on a regular basis. Remember, you can join the Nightlight Legion by going to patreon.com slash nightlightpod. You can also make a donation via PayPal at paypal.me slash nightlightpodcast. If you're unable to support us financially, word of mouth is the next best way to help. Give us a shout out online on Twitter or Instagram at nightlightpod or like us on Facebook. Reviews are also a huge help, so be sure to leave a few kind words on your podcast platform of choice. Apple Podcasts and Podchaser are the best platforms to leave reviews on, so if you don't have a preference, those are the ones that you should leave a review on. Audio production for this episode by Jen Zink. You can visit her at jenzink.wordpress.com or follow her on Twitter at loopdeloo to thank her for volunteering to make Nightlight amazing. And to thank you for listening until the very end, we have a creepy fact for you. You may have heard of the Dyatlov Pass incident where nine hikers disappeared uh, from their camp and were eventually found dead 
Five of them were found pretty quickly, but then four more were found only after the snow melted. There are a number of explanations for why they might have died, but mostly they died from hypothermia. Um, The last few of them appeared to have triggered an avalanche that killed them. They suffered some blunt force trauma and one died of hypothermia. So they all died of pretty explainable causes. They don't believe that there is any foul play involved. But the strange thing is, is that they cut themselves out of their tent. So they were all like sleeping in their tent, everything's cool. And then something happened that made them all flee from their tent and they refused to go back to their tent. And so that's kind of the question that makes this a creepy tale is why did they leave the safety of their tent in the first place? There are a few explanations. You know, some of them are crazier than others. Uh, Some people say that it must have been aliens or they saw some strange lights. Um, But the most recent explanation is a rare weather phenomenon where whirlwinds are formed by the air that goes over the summit of the mountain that they were hiking on that created an infrasound vibration. So infrasound is something that we can't hear as humans And it is believed to cause irrational fear and panic and dread and just general feelings of anxiety in people. And it's a totally natural phenomenon. It can happen anytime. And guess what? We have put it under this creepy fact as well. So you're welcome. See you in July for the next episode. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.